Hello there, this is the Psychology Report and this is Dr. Alan Hedberg. Today I would like to address a very important part of our life and uh, one of the driving forces of how we live. That is the brain, our neurological driving engine of the body and of our behavior patterns and our choices and how we live. It's important to understand a little bit about the brain. The left side of the brain generally functions in such a way that it utilizes language as a way of interacting with one's environment. It's the language system that allows us to socialize and to communicate and to learn and to read and to study and to acquire information and, and inform others and be a contributing member to our society. Logic and thinking patterns are very much within that left side of the brain. On the right side of the brain are almost all the other functions. Balance and music and mathematical abilities and uh, motor coordination and uh, balance and our gait and our, our motor systems, how we function. In other words, how we live a quality life within our community and within our, our family and our homes. Both parts of the brain are extremely important uh, and they work together and they work as a unit. The back part of the brain, of course, controls and regulates vision and what we see and how we interact with our environment visually. And of course, today's environment, kids involve themselves in all kinds of visual games and visual activities. And that part of the brain is a very active part of the brain uh, for most kids now because of the way that they live and the visual stimulation to which they're exposed. And of course, the fore part of the brain, right over the forehead, you know, regulates much of the, what we call the decision-making actions of our life, the executive functions of our life, decision-making, problem-solving, judgment, forward-looking, planning ahead, making decisions and judgments, you know, just thinking clearly, logically, and uh, being able to interact at a higher level of thought and uh, conceptualization and uh, uh, intellectual activity of a uh, thought-provoking lifestyle. Now, it's just generally the four areas of the brain. There are many areas of the brain that kind of regulate how we live our life and how we behave, and we can go through that, and that takes about an hour in itself just to kind of identify all that, but I just take a look at those four areas of the brain. In other words, our brain is our driving engine in our life. We need to treat our brain well. We need to be good to our brain. We need to protect our brain. We need to do the things that will enhance our brain, and we have to do those things that will protect it from being hurt and damaged. Now, over time, let's take a look at it this way. Over time, the brain develops in the life of a child from about 0 to age 25. That's kind of a nice round number. 0 to 25 is when the brain develops and reaches its maximum capacity and capability and function at about age 25. Then it levels off at that point in time. So in other words, what we do to our brain in those early ages very much affects how that brain is going to function for the rest of its life. 
If we damage it in these early years, it's going to have a profound effect upon how we utilize the brain thereafter in our later years of life. That's why we say marijuana is not a drug of use, should not be a drug of choice, because it affects the brain. It damages the brain. Smoking marijuana three times a week is enough to damage that brain over the course of a month and then beyond. So we say be careful. Wear a helmet. Don't hit the head. Don't put the head in a situation where it can be damaged, where the head can be uh, assaulted in some kind of way. In other words, that brain needs to be very much protected and fed properly and, and honored and, and, and respected so that the child has every opportunity to live a full life of achievement and productivity and thought and progress from there on. So the brain develops from 0 to 25. And then from about 25 to 40, the brain is pretty stable and functions. And that's kind of when we operate in our life at pretty much our peak. That's when we really are productive, we achieve, we accumulate, we uh, complete our educational process, we enter into a career, we enter into a host of contracts and understandings of, of interactions and socialization and so on. The brain is very active from 25 to 40. It's challenged enormously so. New learning takes place all the time. And in fact, it's right and proper for a person to engage in ongoing, continuing education during those years because it, it not just doesn't enhance the brain necessarily, but lets it learn how to function effectively and efficiently. And about age 40, there's a little bit of a bump where the brain is now a little stronger, a little bit more tuned in, functions a little bit better. In other words, we get a little wiser at about age 40. And that continues on to about age 50, maybe up into age 60. So that period of time from 25 to 50 or so is really the critical time of our life, neurologically speaking, because that's when that brain is really called upon to function at its peak. And that's when we achieve, and that's when we maintain a level of high levels of productivity during those years. So we want a brain that's well-developed, well-functioning, and has not been jeopardized, and has been fed well. But then things change. At about age 50 to 60, that brain now starts to decline. The neurological system begins to break down. The neurological system this begins to disintegrate. The nerves or the cells of that body, of, of the brain, start now to weaken. And now that decline can be very rapid or it can be a very slow process. If we've been good to our brain, if we have a healthy brain, if we have a strong brain, a well-functioning brain, a well-developed brain, an educated brain, a brain that's not been damaged, has not been subjected to uh, drugs and not been subjected to an overwhelming use of uh, uh, toxic materials and so on, that brain will s decrease slowly. But if we subjected our brain to a lot of trauma and hurt and stress and poor diet and uh, poor living habits and lack of sleep and, and so on, that brain deterioration will be much more rapid. For some of us, 
that rapid uh, decrease of the brain goes right on into dementia and into Alzheimer's. More women experience that than men. For some of us, that brain deteriorates down into what we call dementia, but not into Alzheimer's. And that's more likely to be the men. But that brain will deteriorate nonetheless. And that will be a slow process. And we have to do everything we can to make sure we have a healthy brain by the age 25. Make sure we maintain a healthy brain from 25 to 50. And make sure that we do everything we can to strengthen and prevent the decline of our brain from 50 on into, let's say, 100. You're 100. So that's kind of the scope of our brain and how it functions and what we can do to make sure our brain is well equipped to do what we have been designed to do and what we've been created to do by our creator. In other words, don't mess it up. All right? Don't mess it up. Now, there are lots of things that will play a critical role in creating a healthy brain, maintaining a healthy brain, and stabilizing a healthy brain as long as it is possible. There's a lots of things we can do. We can name exercise, socialization, education, the lack of smoking, the lack of alcohol, and drugs of various kinds, um, brain teasers, being challenging, doing things which are challenging to your brain. There's just a lots of things that can be done to make sure that brain is proper and good and wise and functions well. But there's another factor that one needs to take into account. And that's the diet. Our diet. Now, when we use the word diet, most of us usually think of eating a little bit of food so that we lose weight. And that we shape our bodies up in such a way that we look good. Well, that's not what we're referring to when we talk about a healthy eating diet. What we're talking about is eating a diet that is good to the brain. One of the diets that is good to the brain is usually referred to as the Mediterranean diet. You can buy that in the bookstores all over the place. There are books on the Mediterranean diet, and it's recommended. If you're attracted to that, go get that book, follow that plan. It'd be good for you. Or there's another diet similar to that, which is DASH, D-A-S-H. That's the same thing as a Mediterranean diet, essentially. But it emphasizes low salt for those that need a low salt diet. And then there's another one that has come on the market not too long ago and is referred to as probably the simplest diet to follow. And that is what is called MIND, M-I-N-D, M-I-N-D. And that's a very important one, developed by the uh, University of Chicago in Rush in downtown Chicago. But let me just kind of give you a little overview of just that MIND uh, diet. And this might be just the easiest way to follow it. Here's what the MIND diet says, okay? When you go into a grocery store, head to the produce department. Don't look left. Don't look right. Don't get stuck. You know, all the attractive things that they put at the door, because that's only there to get you off track and get you to buy things which are high in sugar content and probably are not good for you. So don't look at the stuff around the entrance to a grocery store because that's often not healthy stuff. But head to the produce department and spend a lot of time there. 
and it would be wise for you to make friends with the manager of the produce department. Make him your friend. Tell him that you want to eat healthy, that you want his help to select foods that are healthy and that are good for you and good for your brain, and that would be consistent with the mind diet. He'll help you, or she'll help you. Don't be, don't be bashful. They're there not to just keep food on the shelf. They're there to help you select food that would be good for you and good for your health, but they want you to buy the food, so they'll help you. Now, stay in the produce department. Go into the leafy uh, department of that, or, or leafy sections of that department. So you pick out stuff for a salad. Get all your salad greens right there. And make sure you get your colorful vegetables there. Make sure you get your nuts there. Make sure you get your berries there. Okay? Those are the things you get in the produce department. So spend much time in the produce department with vegetables, with salads, with uh, berries, uh, with the grains, uh, with the nuts. Okay, make sure that you really take advantage of all the good things that are in a produce department. Learn some of the new vegetables. Learn some of the new uh, items that they have available to you and try them. Expand your interests. Expand your eating uh, range so that you pick up other kinds of foods than you usually eat and introduce them to the family. But you might want to just pick two or three, stick with that, and then just eat them and until you are pretty well in a, ha in a habit of eating those vegetables and those greens, and then expand it to other ones so that you learn other kinds of foods. But stay in that produce department a long time. Then move on into the fish and the poultry department. Because you got to buy fish. And you got to buy poultry. So, however you buy it, cooked already for you, or cut up, or whole, or however you want it, buy fish, have it at least once a week, twice a week would be good, and then buy some fish, I mean some, uh, some chicken. So, get some chicken, eat that at least twice a week. So you get fish and chicken every single week. So stay in that department where the poultry and the fish are located and stay there and get to know the various kinds of fish. Try different ones. You may not like fish, but try different kinds until you find the fish that you prefer. And then you'll be more likely to buy them. And same for your family. Get the fish that your family will want. Take a, take a vote. Take a, we'll have a little discussion on that so the family can pick and tell you what kind of fish to buy so that they can enjoy fish with you and, and as well as poultry. Now, that includes turkey and, you know, some of the other kind of poultry products. So, stay there. That's the second place that you shop. Then the third place you shop is course, where, you, where you get your uh, beans and you get your grains. Okay? So, go down those aisles where the grain... And the beans are kept. And eat beans at least every other day. Have some form of beans. There's all kinds of beans. There are all kinds of grains. The whole grains. All kinds of them. A variety of them. Select them. Pick them out. That's where you go next. And your, and your shopping tour, if you will. Okay? And then get some olive oil. Or maybe you're going to use at home the uh, fish oil in a tablet form of omega-3. 
That's okay too. But olive oil is good for you. And then top it off with buying grape juice. Grape juice. Non-sweetened grape juice. Some people say you should have a glass of wine a day. Well, that's debatable. I don't recommend it. Because having wine a day is a slippery slope. It leads to not one wine a day, because very few people can do that. It leads to two wines a day, and then three wines a day, and then to other alcohol. And before you know it, you're into an alcohol pattern. 10 to 15% of the population become addicted. So it's a slippery slope. I don't recommend that. Get your grapefruit juice, unsweetened. It's just as good. It's the same thing as having a glass of wine. You get as much benefit that way. So don't buy into this pattern that you got to have wine every day. You don't. Now, there's a couple other kind of foods that you just want to walk past or go through those sections of the grocery store real rapidly, you see. Red meat. Don't spend a lot of time in the red meat department. Now, it's okay to have red meat about once a week, maybe twice at the most, but limit your use of red meat. So be careful when you get into the meat department. Walk through that thing as fast as you can. Same thing when it gets into the, the cold, chilly areas of a grocery store. Be careful in your butter and your margarines. You want just small amounts of that. So buy the smallest packages of those that you can get. And pass up the cheese if you can. Just pass it up. But if you're going to stop in the cheese section, get the hardest cheese possible that you can enjoy and tolerate. And like, Don't get the soft cheeses. Get the hard cheeses. Okay? And then just go right on past the uh, pastries and the sweets and the breads and all that, and the fast food kind of uh, sections of grocery stores. Uh, just kind of pass those up if you can. That's, that's what you don't want. Now, that's the simplest way to do it. The simplest way to do it. Think in terms of a grocery store going and buying food, and then that's the food you bring home and eat. And when you come home and eat those foods, you're going to be okay. Have them in various combinations. Have them in various ways that you can enjoy them. But put them into your daily uh, eating plan. And I like to add to top of that in the, in the uh, vegetable section, Get some fruit. Make sure you get some fruit and throw that in as well. Not a lot of it, but make sure you enjoy fruit each day or at least every other day. So that's kind of where we are with the brain. You'll, you'll be healthy to your brain, or as a result of your eating, your brain will be healthy, if you want to say it that way. Uh, just pick one thing a day and kind of work on it. Pick a few things every couple of days and just kind of learn to eat within that pattern. Now, if you can do that for your children, you're going to be very wise as a parent. And you're going to help your children develop a good, strong brain. If you do that as a young adult, you'll maintain a healthy brain. Or you'll bring a healthy brain about. And certainly, in your older years, this is how you must eat. Because that will slow down the process of developing dementia and on into Alzheimer's. Now, food by itself doesn't prevent Alzheimer's. Food itself does not prevent dementia. There's a lot of factors that go into it. I mentioned them earlier. But food is a big factor because we eat it three times a day, right? So eat moderately, eat wisely, but eat brain food. And some people say, well, I have a heart problem. I have to be careful for my heart. I have to be, watch my heart. I got to eat a diet that would be good for my heart. Well, I tell you what, 
What's good for your brain is good for your heart. What's good for your heart is good for your brain. So think the same way. And that will help you develop into a healthy person and maintain your health as long as you possibly can. So this has been the Psychology Report. I hope that's been helpful to you. Now before we go today, I want to introduce you to the Pompeii Foundation. Now, Pompeii disease, maybe a lot of you don't know what that is, but it doesn't affect a lot of people, but the people who are affected by the Pompeii disease are uh, significantly impaired in their life and must live in a very limited manner. Pompeii disease is rare and debilitating. It's a genetic disease that affects both children as well as adults. Although the ages of onset and severity of the symptoms are variable from person to person, most Pompeii patients experience progressive, now listen to this, progressive muscle weakness and breathing difficulty. And that results in a loss of strength in the diaphragm, so they have a hard time breathing, and it is a loss of the strength of the muscle supporting the lungs. So in addition, infants with Pompeii experience have cardiac problems due to the weakening of the muscle of the heart, the cardiac muscle. So these kids are drastically impaired. Many of them don't survive very long. But they have to live very carefully and they have to have high levels of care. Now, the United Pompeii Foundation, I want you to introduce you to that. The United Pompeii, P-O-M-P-E, that's Pompeii, P-O-M-P-E. The United Pompeii Foundation was formed to assist these patients and their families with their medical costs and other expenses that they face when they are unable to uh, cover those expenses themselves and through their own insurance plans. It's a very expensive disease. Treatment and medication is extremely expensive because there are these many kids that have this. So the medications are not produced in great volumes. So they're expensive. And the Pompeii Foundation is there to help those families that need some assistance in bringing proper treatment to their family member with Pompeii disease. So here's what I recommend you do. Go to the website, www.unitedpompeii.com. www.unitedpompeii, that's all one word, P-O-M-P-E, unitedpompeii.com. Look it up, learn a little bit about Pompeii disease, Look about the look at the uh, foundation and what it does, and I'm gonna, I'm going to ask you to do this. Send them a few bucks, okay? Send them a few bucks. It'll be a good charity for you to contribute to. You'll be doing some real good stuff for some kids that are in great need and families that have a hard time meeting the financial demands that are required if they have a child with Pompeii disease. So go do it, would you? That'd be helpful. You'd be doing a good thing for yourself and for them. This has been the Psychology Report, and nice to have you with me. Bye for now.